One great pairing is to go out and just eat this with dirt. <laughs> Get the real flavor of the vineyards. <laughs> Welcome to Two Girls in a Grape, where we attempt to learn about wine one bottle at a time. I'm Drea, and I love dirt. And I'm Anne, and my roots dig deep in the mountainsides of Colorado. That's nice dirt. So let's get right into it. Uh, what's your cheers and jeers this week, Drea? You know, I thought I'd be very seasonal about it, because we've just had the first day of fall. We had a harvest moon. Um, so my cheers is to fall. It is by far my favorite season. I love it so much. I love all the basic bitch pumpkin spice things, except the coffee, because I do think that's disgusting. Uh, I love the fashion. I want to wear velvet and faux fur and leather. And I realize this is now sounding like I work at a fetish club, but I still want to wear all of those things. I love fall so much. And I am just really pissed that climate change is ruining it for me. It's also Libra season. It is which Libra is season. Our favorite Our season. Our favorite season. It's where we get to celebrate being indecisive, flirty, glorious, social justice seeking hoes. And I love it. So, my jeers for the episode, though, is on the flip side of that. And also do the climate change. And once again, I think this may be the third or fourth episode I've now said this. My jeers is to summer. You need to fucking get lost. I am done with you. We are all done with you. I need hurricanes to stop. I need fires to stop. I just need you to fucking get out. So yeah, that's my jeers. My cheers this week is to everyone who has left us a review on Apple iTunes. Thank you all so much. As you probably know, if you listen to a lot of podcasts, that is the best way to help us out. And this week, I wanted to call out one reviewer, Kefalopod, who said that we were super informative, approachable, witty, and entertaining. So cheers to you, Kefalopod. We really appreciate it. And again, just remember, if you are enjoying this podcast, the best way you can help us is by leaving a rating and review in Apple iTunes and subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps. I, I love that they find us yeah. witty, though. This is fantastic. <laughs> um, and I had a hard time thinking of a jeers this week, but my jeers is to me, I guess, because... Um, as you know, Drea, and some of our listeners may also know this, I have gotten obsessed with the Ruby Dixon uh, romance series, Ice Planet Barbarians. And now I have finished reading all of the Ice Planet Barbarians books and the spinoff Ice Home series. And now I have to find something else to read and I don't know what to do with my life. And you know, I didn't I didn't know that I was going to get this obsessed with a planet about large, well-endowed blue aliens, but I I need my fix. Ruby, come out with another book. 
You know, the pandemic has really affected all of us in different and profound ways. And this is this is just yours. Yeah, I mean, some people took up like sourdough starters, you took up big blue alien space junk. It's fine. It's fine. You do what you need to do. Fine. It's fine. We are featuring a wine from Story of Soil, and we decided to really run with that story theme. So why why don't you tell us about this week's shenanigans slash challenge? Sure. So in honor of today's winemaker, Story of Soil, I have picked out some books, um, some familiar favorites and some new ones that I want to try. And I thought I could describe them to Drea and she could recommend a wine to pair with these books. So very similar to what we do in our pairing section, but a little bit reversed this time because I'll tell her the book and then she'll tell me the wine to drink with it. And some of these are books that we've both read. Some of them are books I know Drea enjoys and some of them are books that I like, um, but I think are new to her. So it should be a fun challenge. So, Drea, are you ready? I am ready. So, our first book is The Master and Margarita by Mikhail Bulgakov. This is a story about the devil coming to Stalinist Russia. It also contains one of my absolute favorite female characters, the aforementioned Margarita, who anoints herself in golden skin cream and becomes a witch, goes to the devil's ball, and ultimately saves her lover. We read this together in a previous book club, and I think it was one of the group's favorite books that we'd ever read. So, Drea, what should we drink with this? So first, I love this book. It is so fun. It's beautifully written. And it reminds me of a Rolling Stone song. Like, if you know, it's just, it's great. It's such a great ride. And it really needs a wine that's, frankly, as bold as Mick Jagger's dance moves and Margarita's skincare regimen. So I thought really hard about what type of wine would meet this need. And so I decided that I wanted to go with kind of a classic varietal, um, a big, bold red. So I picked a Cabernet Sauvignon, but I wanted it to have a bit of a twist um, because this novel has such a whimsy uh, and almost a magical realism quality to it. So I am recommending a Pinedas producer, Jean Leon, single vineyard Cabernet Sauvignon, which is called La Scala. So it's actually a wine that's named in honor of Leon's restaurant in Beverly Hills, California. And this wine tastes like a wooded paneled room with leather chairs and a plume of smoke just swirling through the air. Like if that setting had a taste, that's what this wine is. It is bold. It's deep. It has black fruit, leather, tobacco, robust tannins. I fucking love this wine. It's just so beautiful. And despite how bold it is, it's incredibly well balanced. So the other thing about this this wine is the story behind the winery and the original winemaker, Jean Leon, is really similar to a narrative about selling your soul to the devil type thing. So more than appropriate here. At some point on the podcast, we will have to tell this story. But uh, for now, go drink this wine. Ooh, exciting. 
So our next oh my book God. I have already oh mentioned on this podcast. It's actually the series. It is, of course, my current obsession, Ice Planet Barbarians by Ruby Dixon. This series is absolute trash. It is sexy, sexy smut, and I have been spreading the good word through my friend group faster than the Delta variant. It is exactly what it says in the title. It is an ice planet with giant blue aliens and the human women who crash land on their planets and fall immediately into their furs um, for basically great sex through the entire books. There are 22 books and a spin-off series, and I refuse to pick a single book for you to choose from. I need a pairing that will go with this entire series. These fucking books, I swear. <laughs> um, so first of all, Anne, you are absolutely right. They're total and absolute garbage. But they're hot garbage. So, um, yeah, I'm currently on book 13. That's right. I finished book 12 last night. They are so ridiculous, but I just can't help myself. And I traditionally don't read romance novels. I think the last one I read, I was probably like 16 years old. So this is just hilarious to me. Um, But they're quick, racy reads, and they really deserve a wine that's fun and easy, just like the aliens on this planet. So I am going to pick my favorite porch pounder. You know who will porch pound? Oh, I am sure that they're, you know, they're just lining up to resonate. And if you all want to know what that means, go read one of these ridiculous books. So I'm picking my forever favorite all day, every day, Kava, Freshenette, Black Label, which we did feature on the podcast, I think episode eight or nine, maybe. So having said that, like, that's just a great bottle. It's easy. It's cheap and cheerful. You can drink that sucker all day long. It goes with everything, including some blue alien business. It's, It's a great bottle just to have on hand and it's fun, right? But Having said all that, I will literally feel better than if I was pleasured by an alien lover if I can find the Freshenette Rosé stateside. Um, So if you can find that, I know it's pink, so it doesn't really match the blue ice planet theme, but, you know, use your imagination. And the other reason I picked this this wine is because Anne and I both love kava and have bonded over bottles many a time. So I feel like this pick works for both of us. For our next pick, I've chosen Velvet Was the Night by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. This is a book I haven't read, but I loved Moreno-Garcia's earlier book, Mexican Gothic. Goodreads described, described Velvet Was the Night as delicious twisted treat for lovers of noir. Um, It's about a daydreaming secretary, a lonesome enforcer, and the mystery of a woman that they're both desperate to find. So what should we drink with this? So I'm super glad you put this one on the list because I actually have this book packed in my bag 
for a trip down to Valle de Guadalupe that I leave for tomorrow. <laughs> so I bought it um, when it came out and I've been saving it for this trip. I am so excited to read this while I obviously sip on some Mexican wine. So for this book, uh, my pick is a wine from Valle de Guadalupe and it's the Movedra from Solar Fortune. The last time I was in Valle, uh, I went down to this vineyard for the first time. I had, I had had some of their wines at restaurants in the area, but hadn't actually been out to the, the winery and the vineyard because they're only open Saturday and Sunday. Uh, and I tend to go down during the week when it's a little less crowded. But I, I was out there on a Sunday. I made it the point. I really wanted to get to this winery. And I was able to not only visit, but meet the winemaker. And to get there, though, you follow this really long dirt road that actually takes you behind the hills of the northern end of the valley. And just when you think you're either lost or about to get like kidnapped by maybe not so handsome space aliens, you see this amazing vineyard and open air tasting room that's just surrounded by hills and vines. It's so beautiful. And so like Moreno Garcia's work, I think this vineyard truly transported me to another place and time, and I particularly fell in love with this bottle. Um, I'm a sucker for a Movedra, uh, especially if it's a 100%, and this one has, um, you know, the smooth characteristics of a Movedra, but also just like a hint of spiciness and minerality that is so characteristic of a lot of the wines down there. So again, thinking about a classic noir tale and a deep red wine, but with a different perspective. Cool. Let us know how it goes. Um, I'm very excited. So our next selection is one of my favorite books. It is The Pillow Book of Say Shonigan by Say Shonigan, and it's translated by Ivan Morris. This is an old favorite. It's one of the books that I studied really closely when I was getting my degree in creative nonfiction. Say Shonigan is actually a Japanese court lady from around the year 1000. Uh, and the pillow book is sort of a version of her diary that contains short vignettes and lists that were inspired by her life at court. I particularly enjoy her lists, which include things like presumptuous things, pleasing things, outstandingly pleasant things, hateful things, etc. She's funny and thoughtful, and there's a certain Japanese aesthetic to her writing that I think is really lovely. So, Drea, this is a little different. What would you pair with this? So I've never read this book, um, but now I certainly want to. And so I had to think pretty hard about this one. This was actually the pairing that took me the longest to think about. But it seems to me that the perfect pairing for this type of narrative would be a classic, but an unexpected classic with a, with a little bit of a twist. So I am going to pick a Palomino. So Palomino is a white grape. Um, it is primarily grown in Spain and used to make sherry which is, you know, a sweet kind of more dessert or aperitif wine, um, or it's used in a blend as a blending grape in white blends. It's a very old grape, and today it's incredibly hard to find a 100% dry, still Palomino. But if you can find one, buy it now. Like, buy all of it and enjoy it, because it's such a 
interesting white wine. Um, there are parts of it that are floral and delicate with kind of orange blossom and almond on the nose. And then there are other parts of it that are more unexpected and robust, like um, citrus, in particular grapefruit, and a salinity or sea salt finish to it. Uh, that's just, you know, kind of makes your tongue slap your brain a little bit. And so this is actually one of my favorite old grape varietals to try and track down. I've only ever had two 100% Palominos, one, one from Spain, one from Mexico, and I just enjoy them thoroughly. In my research for this upcoming trip down to Valle, uh, I did learn that another bodega down there is making a 100% Palomino. So um, I would love to see that region kind of bring back this grape and make it relevant in this new way. So it's you know, drinking um, a glass of Palomino is a little like going back in time and completely enjoying that trip, which it sounds like this book is as well. And our final selection is Percy Jackson and the Olympians by Rick Riordan. Now, for our listeners, I don't know anything about this book. I refuse to learn anything about these books, but Drea loves them, so I'm obviously including it here. And here's what the author page says about it if you're not familiar. 12-year-old Percy Jackson is on the most dangerous quest of his life. With the help of a satyr and a daughter of Athena, Percy must make the journey across the United States to catch a thief who has stolen the original weapon of mass destruction, Zeus's master firebolt. Along the way, he must face a host of mythological enemies determined to stop him, but most of all, he must come to terms with a father he has never known and an oracle that has warned him of a betrayal by a friend. So, Drea, for this uh, mythic story, what do you recommend? Despite the fact that I have now read 13 novels featuring well-endowed sex-crazed aliens who are into raw meat, which I think is hilarious for a vegan, and I love that you will not even entertain the idea of reading a super fun series based on Greek mythology. But you know what? Because I'm a good person, I'm going to give you and all of our listeners a lovely recommendation. And it's obviously going to be a Greek wine. So I have selected Sino uh, Marvo, which is a bold red Greek wine that just packs a punch of cherry, raspberry, tobacco, leather. Um, so it, again, it is a robust red. You can tell I really want fall to get here quick with some of these picks. Um, it is a principal grape from one of the oldest wine growing regions in the world, Greece. And it's just the perfect wine to pair with this playful reimagining of these classic tales. It's actually, because it's a principal grape that's grown in um, the northern Grecian region, it's widely available in the United States. So out of the four, you know, nicer bottle shops in my area, for example, three of them right now have this varietal on their shelves. So uh, you can find it at most wine retailers. I've even seen them like at BevMo previously. So they're pretty widely available. And I love a theme pairing, uh, as you all know. So this seemed appropriate. 
So if you try any of these pairings, whether it's the book or the wine or both, uh, let us know if you liked it. Let us know what you think. And if there is a book that you would like us to make a recommendation about, uh, let us know that too. You can reach Drea on Instagram at two girls and a grape pod. And you can also email both of us at two girls and a grape pod at gmail.com. I love how we've given up on the Twitter officially. I just wasn't going to bring it up here. <laughs> okay. Um, so I can go open my bottle. Okay. I will also open bottle. Continue. Perfect. Sounds good. See you in a few. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Hello. Hello. Isn't it pretty? It's really nice. It's so pretty. So, Drea, what do you have for us today? So, today, uh, sticking with the story theme, we are drinking a wine from a small producer up in the Los Olivos, uh, Santa Barbara County area called Story of Soil. And today we have their Carbonic Grenache from 2020. And so this bottle, um, you know, they're a smaller boutique winery, lower production. Uh, so this is going to be a little bit on the higher end of price point that we have done on the podcast. This bottle retails at the vineyard for about $40. It's ABV or alcohol by volume is 13.2. I've actually tasted up there twice and have been super impressed with their catalog and their wines and I just really love a carbonic wine and we haven't done one on the show yet so uh now is the time also the last time I was there I was wine happy and down to throw down for a bunch of bottles and this was one that I bought for both of us so here we are. I can't wait to get into what a carbonic is. I also have enjoyed a carbonic before, but not as familiar as you are. But before we get into that, um, what are some of the basics about this wine? Okay, so the varietal is a Grenache. We're not going to go, you know, too far into the weeds here because we've done a Grenache before on the show. Um, but basics. So Grenache is a Spanish grape in origin, but it's now grown pretty consistently all across the world in major wine growing regions. And France and California are now two of the major producers of Grenache. Uh, primary flavors for the varietal include things like strawberry, plum, blood orange, light leather, herbs. And so uh, it's a little bit on the lighter side of reds. You know, it's not as as delicate as a Pinot Noir, but it's certainly not going to be as robust as a Merlot or a Cabernet. Um, but what I love about Grenache is it's a great varietal that's that plays nice with others. So it's great for food pairings. Um, it's great for it's, you know, kind of an all weather red, if you will, um, similar to like a Gamay. And so 
I really do like a Grenache. I think it's a really versatile grape. Um, it makes a lot of good juice. So in terms of this particular bottle and uh, story of soil in general, so a couple things about this carbonic Grenache. First of all, all of their grapes for all of their wines are hand harvested. Um, so they don't use machinery. They're really dedicated to the highest quality wines and those often come from hand picking because of the delicate nature of the grapes right um this particular bottle is unfined and unfiltered but it does still have like a pretty good clarity to the wine that we can talk about when we get into the actual tasting and you know color and nose observations and all of that and it is pretty limited production. So only 150 cases of this particular wine were produced this last harvest. In terms of the region, we have talked about Santa Barbara County as a wine production region. This particular bottle, the grapes that went into this particular bottle are from the Stoltman Vineyard in Ballard Canyon in Santa Barbara County. And Stoltman is another producer in the region and farms a ton of grapes. They're a they have a huge vineyard, multiples actually, and this particular bottle is made with grapes from the Stoltman vineyards. Um, and one of the things you'll find in this area, especially for a lot of smaller boutique wineries, is that they're buying grapes from other producers or growers, excuse me, and those growers may not necessarily be vinters. They may just be growers. Stoltman, in this case, though, is a vinter. Like, they do have a functioning winery, but they also sell grapes from various vineyards that they own. So this one in particular, um, the Stoltman and Ballard Canyon, the vines from this vineyard are really a reflection of the soil there. It is limestone-based soil and where Ballard Canyon is, it really benefits from the cool, windy conditions of that particular area. And so the, the vines tend to grow in a really nice conservative balance. And they receive little, if any, irrigation in this area. So it's not exactly dry farmed, but it's close, right? Um, they're really relying on the land and the soil there to do the brunt of the work in finessing the grapes. You mentioned that this was another winery with a, a female winemaker. What can you tell us about her? Yeah, so this is just another reason why I love this place. Um, I am very invested in supporting female talent in the wine industry. And this particular winery is headed by Jessica Gaska, who is not only a woman, but is a woman of color. And so I love that we get to support her and what she's doing um, with Story of Soil on the show. So, and she's relatively new to the winemaking scene when you think about the longevity of some of these other wines. But for me, it's just all the more impressive with what she's been able to do with the label. So she actually participated in her first harvest in Santa Maria as an intern in 2009. Uh, and then she apprenticed at Sangais from 2010 to 2013. Um, and while she was there, not only did she 
she credit that experience with learning so much about the industry and about her own style of winemaking and what she liked and what she wanted to capture. But she also was able to save enough to buy her own fruit for her first solo winemaking project, which would become Story of Soil. So in 2012, she made her first vintage and they just announced on Instagram that they have purchased their own fully functional winery and will no longer need to rent equipment or share space. And that is a huge, huge accomplishment for any, you know, small winemaker. Um, So they'll be moving locations soon. I love their current tasting room, which is right in the heart of Los Olivos in a little kind of little like cottage area and Holus Bolus is there and some other great wineries but I am super excited for their new space and can't wait to visit that one too who knows maybe I'll even get my podcast partner to come on out just just saying so you also mentioned that you tell me a little bit more about what carbonic wines mean I have a guess based on the name but I'm curious to know more about like what makes a wine carbonic so what's your guess based on the name Let's start there. So I I think it has something to do with, I mean, it's got something to do with carbon. So my head goes to like carbonated and like carbonated soft drinks, carbonated waters, you know, like just adding that carbon in to give it a little bit of that, that bubble that you know I love. Well, I don't want to disappoint you too much. So we're, so we're not going to have bubbles in this bottle, but you're you're partially That's right. Fair. You're partially right. I don't see any <laughs> bubbles in my glass, to be clear. Okay, so um, carbonic actually refers to carbonic maceration. It's a winemaking technique that's applied primarily to light and medium-bodied red wines. So a Grenache, for example, is a perfect candidate. Um, you see this a lot with Lestans or Mission, which is an older Spanish grape as well. I've seen a carbonic Pinot Noir. I've, I've actually had one which was wild. And so that's kind of the class of, of wines that you're going to see. A car- I've seen a carbonic Tempranillo too. That was delicious. That's kind of where carbonics tend to live in that range of medium to light or light to medium bodied red wines. And what the process does is to make these wines a little bit fruitier and to soften their tannins a bit. And so let's just talk about like the basics first. When wine is made, the way that 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 press grape juice gets transformed into alcohol is via yeast fermentation, right? We've talked about fermentation a bunch of times on the show, but just to recap, grapes are picked, destemmed crush, yeast, whether it's natural or feral or whatever you want to call it, or added yeast is then activated and it eats, quote unquote, the natural sugars in the wine, I mean, in the grape juice and converts them into alcohol. And that's how you get wine, right? So you pick, you do stem, you press, yeast gets real happy and fat, eats all the natural sugars. Now you have alcohol. In carbonic maceration, however, that initial fermentation is not caused by yeast, but instead occurs intercellularly in the grapes or from the inside out. So how that happens is winemakers will fill and seal a vessel of carbon dioxide and then add whole intact bunches of grapes to that vessel. So what's what occurs is these grapes are now in this oxygen-free environment, right? 
And what they do is the grapes begin to ferment from the inside. And so they use up all the available CO2 and that breaks down the sugars and malic acid and produces alcohol along with a range of other compounds that will affect the wine's final flavor. So this process tends to deepen the color of the wine, it softens the tannins, it softens the acidity, um, and the result is a wine that is meant to be drunk young, but has a maturity and a finesse in the taste that you would find in a much more aged wine. That's a lot more science than I was expecting. Uh, you know, wine is a lot of science, I find. It's it's really fascinating. But we like science, right? So I'm down. I'm down with the science. We like drunk science. I mean, drunk science is the best kind of science. So yeah, it's a lot of science. It's a little bit like an experiment. But basic thing is, instead of yeast creating the, first fer the fermentation process... That fermentation is happening within the grapes themselves with carbon dioxide and malic acid. So how do we think of this crazy shit, right? Uh, so the man credited with the discovery of carbonic maceration is, of course, a Frenchman. Uh, it was French scientist Michel Flanzi, 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 who used carbon dioxide as a grape preservation technique in 1934. However, it didn't gain any traction in winemaking practices until about the 1960s. And if you think about 1934 and using it as a preservation technique, that makes a lot of sense, right? So this is the interwar period. Europe has been completely disrupted by World War I. There are already threats in the air about World War II. People are living with shortages of food, um, including produce, right? Because so much land was disrupted during the First World War efforts. So what you find coming out of the interwar periods is, you know, science that was done under research and development in the armed forces, both in Europe and the United States, are really now trying to apply those things to everyday life to make things easier for people. So this is the period where you start to see a lot of gains in food preservation and things like that. So it makes sense that that comes to fruition right around during this time period. Um, but, you know, it definitely wasn't a prevalent winemaking method by any means. And again, it's not until the 60s that that starts to be much more experimental with um, wine that's, you know, coming out of major wine houses. Oh, those swinging 60s. Those swinging 60s. And that really happens also in France. Another, he was a chemist and a wine connoisseur of sorts, um, Jules Chaveux. I, my French, did you take French? No, you took Spanish. We're no. Both, we're both fucked. Okay. Chauvet. 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 Timothy Chalamet. No, I don't know. God, now the French really, they French the already The godfather of wine. The god. Timothy, Timothy Chalamet. The godfather of wine. So our friend Jules is widely considered to be the godfather of natural wine. And he made a lot of great strides with his studies in semi-carbonic maceration. Again, primarily in... Gamay grown in granite soils in France. But the technique that he figured out is the one that is still widely used by natural winemakers today. So uh, that's where we are post-swing in 60s. And we've got this lovely juice in our glass. So let's drink! 
So, Drea, I can already tell kind of why you picked this wine for this episode, because it is a lovely red color, and it kind of feels like the perfect intersection between the weather we're actually having and the weather we want to be having. Like, I imagine this is going to be a really great wine for those lingering summer days when you just wish it would be fall. Yeah, and the nice thing about this wine, and carbonics in general, I like to put the slightest bit of chill on them. I would serve them around the temperature that I would serve an orange wine. So, you know, maybe like 59 degrees or so. And it again, it doesn't need to be that scientific. I popped the sucker in the fridge, you know, two hours before we opened it. And it's the perfect temperature right now. So what do you see in your glass? I love this wine. It's It looks like the color of a red rose to me. It's a very pure red. Yeah, it's like I want a lipstick in this color. Yeah. You know, despite being unfined and unfiltered, like the clarity of this wine is really fantastic. And there's still some gradations. So if you tip your glass, you know, up against like a a white surface, as they tell you to do, Mm -hmm. the deepest red is in the center. And then as it edges out towards the sides of the glass, you get, you know, almost a salmon pink to a pale peach. It's really, really pretty. And I think it's like, it's a very bright red. Like it's, it's bold, it's playful, it's fun. It's a, it's a great color. Yeah, I mean, like you said, a lipstick would be perfect. It's definitely a bottle where if you're pouring it for guests and they see it splash into the glass, everyone's going to be a little like, ooh. (laughs) So should we give it a whiff? Yeah, so let's give it a swirl. Oh, it's so pretty. I'm using my really fancy tasting glass today for the sucker, so. Well, la-dee-da. So what are you getting on the nose? I think I'm out of practice. I'm going to need another sniff. I think I'm getting floral notes. Okay. Any particular? I mean, I'm picturing like wildflowers, which I don't think is an actual thing, but that's like... It kind of reminds me, again, sort of of, like, being in a field in late summer with, like, a bunch of flowers blooming. Yeah, I'm getting, on the floral end, I'm almost getting, like, some gardenia. Mm -hmm. Maybe a little bit of, like, honey or orange blossom, too. Fruit-wise, definitely berries. Underripe cherry, strawberry, blueberry, things I'd want to put in my morning yogurt. But then it was actually a challenge for me to kind of pick out some of those fruit scents because the first thing I got on the nose was herbs and wood. Uh, I get cedar and tarragon and basil off this bottle just and I love an herbaceous wine um, because as we talked about during our introductions, I love dirt. And for me, um, the herbaceousness, the minerality, uh, those are some of the most robust ways that the soil really influences the wine. And I just, I nerd out hardcore over that stuff. So yeah, I get some good herbaceousness and that's cedar backdrop too. Are there, are there ways that a particular type of soil gives you some of this herbaceous scent or is it just sort of like you know there's a a soil connection when you smell that um definitely different soils yield different types of wines so this like this particular 
vineyard, the Stoltman up in Ballard Canyon, is known for lime, their limestone-rich soil. Um, limestone's pretty airy, you know, as, and it's almost like chalky in substance, so you get a little bit more of that minerality. Um, you get a little bit more, I think, of that herbaceous background that sort of complements that. Whereas if you're looking at soils that are, you know, more granite and things like that, you're going to have a different kind of flavor profile in the wine. And also different grapes respond better to different soils. So, you know, because Grenache is a lighter grape, it's going to do better in a lighter soil like the limestone-based one. It's interesting. I wonder whether or not, like, any of the flavors that we pull out, if they also, you know, like this wine, grow well in those soil regions. Like, do herbs grow well in limestone, limestone soil? Do some of the the... Uh, fruits that we mentioned, do they grow well here? That I don't know um, because I'm not a farmer, but I can tell you what I do know. So Karen McNeil's The Wine Bible is a great resource and it's, you know, one of the few publications that's really designed for, you know, wine service. This is a book that is recommended on like the Court of Masters reading list and all of that sort of stuff. But it actually has a really nice soil index um, that tells you about the different types of soils that are very prevalent in the winemaking world. So there is an entry here for limestone that I've pulled. And limestone is, soil is a wide range of sedimentary-based soils consisting of calcium carbonates, many of which are formed from the skeletal fragments of marine organisms. Creepy and weird. I like it. Limestone is consistently alkaline and is generally planted with grapes of high acidity levels. This is a main soil type in Burgundy, Champagne. Uh, because limestone is a remnant of some ancient seabeds, certain islands, including the Florida Keys, random, okay, are made from limestone. So I'm not sure what that means in terms of your question and farming, but what it tells me as like a, a wine person is like that minerality is going to be pleasant that because it's formed from skeletal fragments of marine organisms, it's you're going to be near water, right? With lime, rich limestone soils. And that means you're probably going to have a slightly cooler climate. So remember, cooler climate, higher acid, right? Warmer climate, lower acid, higher tannins, um, deeper body. So that makes sense in like what I know about winemaking. But in terms of like farming strawberries and shit, I have no idea. <laughs> got it. Got it. Well, thanks for the additional info on on uh, limestone soils. And we're just always we're drinking. Uh, we're drinking the history of of ancient marine life. Are you fine with that? Is that okay? Or are you now? I'm fine. Okay, with it. good. <laughs> Same as using plastic. <laughs> Excellent. All right. So should we, um, we've done the swirl. We've done the whiff. Should we give it a taste? We should. Let's do it. It's very light in flavor. Like it's got a good flavor, but it's also, I feel like it's, it's a really light red wine. Mm -hmm. It's very light. And when we say light though, I want to be clear. That doesn't mean it's, it's watery and it's not flavorful. It's really delicate, right. I think. Def I'm definitely getting, you know, kind of for floral notes, uh, 
this time a little bit more towards like the rose end of things. Um, mm -hmm. I get that initial punch and it is a punch is kind of like tart raspberry on the tongue, I think. Um, and then it really mellows into that, that rose and a little bit of basil flavor on the back end, but it's mm -hmm. very easy drinking for sure. Yeah. It's, it's really refreshing. Again, it feels like a nice wine for this time of year. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Where I'm currently sitting here in a long flowy maxi dress sweating, but it's my new dress and I like it and it's fall colors and it has pockets and I want to wear it and drink red wine. Meanwhile, I'm over here sweating and I'm like, what can I take off? What? Thank goodness this is not a visual medium. <laughs> I keep thinking it is, though. <laughs> that makes you feel better. <laughs> okay, so one of the great ways to really talk about a wine is obviously in a discussion of its pairings. So, yeah, what what are we eating with this wine? What are you pairing for food with this wine? Because honestly, you could just drink it as is, to be completely clear. Like, this could just be the bottle you, or let's be honest, me, opens at 3 p.m. on a Thursday because you're just officially over it. But I should probably have some food, so what should we eat? I mean, I think kind of along those lines, part of what I want to eat with it is like, what is something that is kind of simple, kind of easy? So there's a part of me that's like, <laughs> what snacks do I have? Again, very much like a, let me crash on the couch on Thursday and enjoy this. Um, I also think it would go well with just like some pretty simple sort of simple, uncomplicated foods. So I think about like, could I pair it with grapes? Could I pair it with like a nice squash salad? Again, kind of getting in between those summer fall vibes. Yeah, a good massage kale butternut squash salad with like pepitas mm -hmm. or something. That sounds lovely. Um, there's a salad that I love to make that I stole from one of my favorite spots to get lunch at in Barcelona. It's this restaurant called Flax and Kale. I think I, I think we ate there when we were there. It's together. so good. Yeah, it's so good. But my favorite thing on their menu is this salad. And I, I think it's kale salad. And it has roasted carrots and grilled avocado on it. And it's just delicious. Mm. And it has this like teeny dressing. It's so good. And I've cracked that code and have figured out how to make it at home. And I just, I love it. Uh, last night, I made a pasta dish with pan-roasted cauliflower and bell peppers and Brussels sprouts, and then did just a really light pesto sauce. Um, I think, you know, and mm -hmm. it was it was nice and cozy and just have your bowl of yummy pasta and a good glass of wine. I would also totally drink this with like a really nice sandwich. Like not some like bologna and cheese bullshit. Like let's be totally clear. Like I mean a sandwich, a multi-layered sandwich. In my case, I want... I need a toothpick to hold this together I need, sandwich. like, one of those elongated toothpicks. Like, the stage between kebab stick and toothpick. Whatever that next thing is, that's what I need. Yeah. So, there's um, a place in San Diego that I just love to get Italian sandwiches from, and they put them on focaccia, and that would be like an ideal pairing for me. Mm, I mean, focaccia just kind of by itself sounds incredible here. Ooh, like a grilled, I got it. I got it. 
a eggplant parmigiana sandwich on focaccia. Oh, that sounds really good. Right. Now I'm hungry. This podcast is over. Good day. (laughs) So besides our sort of Thursday night hangout, what's a situation where you would drink this wine? Uh, You know what? I actually really like this as an entertaining wine to start. You know, especially for as we move into the fall season, I think the tendency is to start with a white a lot of times or or in the summer, especially a rosé. But Mm -hmm. this... This wine is light enough, and, and remember, you can serve it with a slight chill on it, but interesting enough that it doesn't become just, like, the throwaway of the first course. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it's, it still has a nice level of interest to it. So, in a progressive menu, I would definitely, you know, put this wine up with a first course in lieu of a white. And I'm sure some people are just going to like gasp and pearl clutch, but you're fine. It's fine. I promise you it's fine. Those people don't listen to our podcast. Uh, They might actually. I was in Palm Springs and met a couple and they were like, oh, I've heard of your podcast. And I was like, oh, this is why they're giving me the fish eye. I get it. (laughs) It's, It's fine. Yeah. So I would, I would do it as a starter in a progressive meal. I also, so uh, as you know, we are moving into spooky season, and mm-hmm. one of my favorite things to do during spooky season is watch old, like, black and white horror and sci-fi movies from, the from like, the 30s to the 60s. And my favorite snack to do this with is popcorn with goobers. And everyone thinks I'm a freak. Do not knock it until you try it. It is delicious. And my favorite thing to pair with my little snack mix is a red wine. And honestly, this wine with popcorn and goobers, and I may have just died and gone to heaven. I am thinking about like a bonfire with this wine. And honestly, first I think of like a beach bonfire, but I think you could also like stretch it deeper into fall and just have have yourself like a nice campfire. I think this wine would pair really well with that kind of environment. Pretty casual, pretty fun, but also like like Drea was saying, it it elevates it a little bit more. Definitely more than the canned wines we featured previously. <laughs> Get vaxxed, head indoors, drink out of a bottle. <laughs> Yeah, I like that. I mean, and I, okay, and I know we already did a bunch of book pairings, but what are you specifically going to read as you drink this wine? And if you say Ice Planet Barbarians, I swear to God. Not, not Ice Planet Barbarians. Um, I'm, have just started Song of Achilles, uh, by Madeline Miller. And I feel like that might be... I'll test it with this wine, but I think that might be a good pairing. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Um, I have also read, I've read her, um, her books and I love her. They're such lyrical stories um, and I feel like they're going to go really well with the smoothness of this particular wine. Yeah, exactly. What about you? So I actually just read a book that was really fun, Where Dreams Descend. It is kind of this... So it's about magicians, and it's this magic competition that a female magician enters. And it's kind of this weird, fun mashup of 
Phantom of the Opera. There's like this shady, shadowy character who lives in this other dimensional space called the Master. Oh, interesting. Um, and and also Moulin Rouge, because there's another magician that she falls in love with, but it's, you know, a tortured love affair, obviously. And then, of course, there's all the magic, and there's also a level of mystery, because magicians keep disappearing from this competition one by one. Uh, so it's just a really fun read that kind of, you know, got me into that fall feeling, and it, it wasn't... It wasn't too serious. It was, but it was still an involved and interesting plot. And so I think that this wine would pair really well for that. And the second one comes out at the end of October. That's exciting. Right? I thought so. Yeah, I feel like I have to check that out now. That sounds right up my alley. It sounds I'll, very like Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely in that vein. I'll bring it to you when I come see you. I'm going to come see you. Yay. Sorry, I'm excited. <laughs> Hardest question, what music are we drinking this to? So many people are going to hate me for saying this, but I'm going to say it anyways. Okay, go. I am 100% completely putting on the Spotify acoustic covers playlist for this wine. I feel like that's cheating. I do not care. I just want to chill the F out. I want to drink the... I don't know why I said the F. I've dropped the F-bomb plenty of times on the show. I just want to chill the fuck out. I want to drink this wine. I want to feel a little groovy. Wait. Okay, wait. All right. If it's cheating, hold on. The groovy thing got me going. Simon and Garfunkel. Oh, nice. Yeah. All right. I'm listening to Simon and Garfunkel. Is that better, everyone? I can see that. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Great. Good. I'm glad you approve. What are you listening to? And it better be that little Nas X Dolly Parton mashup of Jolene I sent you that you never oh responded God, about, by the way. Amazing. <laughs> I love Lil Nas X. This is not his I know. Wife, but I love I him. I know. It's not. Um, we, we should have a Lil Nas X episode. If I give the cheating answer, I would say the Spotify playlist music for thinking uh, which is not covers, but it is like okay, soft, instrumental be be- beautifulness. Be better than me. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I feel like, you know, this is again, sort of a, a cheat, but I would listen to this wine. I would listen. I would listen to this wine. I would listen to a true crime podcast and drink this wine. Oh, that's not music. <laughs> a true crime podcast this is light and airy why the hell you want to listen to someone get murdered and their body parts being buried everywhere what's wrong with you i like the contrast oh my god oh my god you've created a monster i didn't create this monster you were like this already when i got here you are you are one step away from watching two hour long dateline specials on friday nights you know if we had tv i probably would i can't what what celebrity do you want to drink this with since you clearly don't want to drink it with me after that answer What serial killer do you want to drink this with since you are clearly into that? Talk about fucking spooky season. I'm not into the serial killers. I'm into the people who solve it. I would drink it with Paul Holes, who solved the Golden State Killer case. Oh, okay. Sure. 
he's probably weird too. <laughs> I'm sure. Be I'm careful. Sure. Tell so someone where you, you are. This with? I know we mentioned him before, but Timothy Chalamet is on my mind. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> I want them to be impressed by this bottle. Let's see. But I also want them to be fun. This one's always the hardest one for me. We should drink it with Timothy Chalamet. I know who I want to drink this wine with. Go Taylor for it. Swift. <laughs> Taylor Swift. <laughs> I mean, I do feel, I feel like she would be impressed by this. I also feel, though, like this wine would back to our musical challenge and how I was given a lot of shit for cheating and then settled on Simon and Garfunkel, who I still believe in and stand by, by the way. I feel like... Th- this wine would go really well with her last two albums. Yeah, with um, uh, Folklore and whatever the other one is, Woodland. Yeah, uh-huh, exactly. Yeah, it's just got Evermore. that vibe, you know? Evermore. Folklore and Evermore. It's just got that vibe to it. I feel like sh- I feel like she'd be into it. And if we drank enough of it, we'd call Timothy Chalamet and all go to, like, um, socially distant karaoke. Great. Great. Yeah. Living the dream. All right. So if people want to drink this, where can they get it? So you can purchase direct from storyofsoil.com. Um, but don't wait on this one. All of their wines are super limited production. And let me tell you, they sell out fast. So, for example, between my first tasting there in June and my second tasting in August, over half of the tasting lineup I originally tried was completely sold out, including their whites and their rosés. So, you know, they are limited production. And if you want in on some of this Carbonic Grenache, don't wait too long. So you can order direct from them. And keep an eye on the Instagram. Again, that's 2TWO, Girls in a Grape Pod on Instagram for our next bottle so you can follow along. Um, We've got some fun stuff coming in the next couple of weeks and we have already selected our bottle for our special Halloween episode. So tune into the Instagram for more details and if you have time and if you're enjoying this podcast and even if you don't have time and you're enjoying this podcast, I'm going to try and shame you into leaving us a review. Like us and follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. And until next time, salud. Salud.